order a spatula and you've got a plan. You say to yourself, I need a spatula, but I don't have one. You say to yourself, these pancakes aren't going to flip themselves, but your desire for said spatula isn't exactly pressing. It's a brave new digital world. So you read the user reviews and you crunch a few numbers and you order a spatula. Amazon Prime. See you in two days or less. You say to yourself, whatever else happens, I've got that spatula thing taken care of. You can do this with everything from Blu-ray discs to flea medication. Order a spatula and you've got a plan. But every once in a while, something disrupts the plan. Something goes wrong at corporate headquarters or a driver misses a turn or the mail carrier confuses 4607 with 4706. A few weeks ago, I ordered a jump rope, and two days later, I opened a small collection of pipe cleaners. And I said to my wife, what the heck? And she could only shrug, send them back. But I grumbled, how long will that take? You ask yourself, how did I get this way? Fighting back memories from more than 20 years ago when every ad warned, please allow six to eight weeks for delivery. Just fine. You know, this thing's going to drive me insane again. I'm going to steal one of these microphones. This is to my point of technology and its unpredictability. Chaos. We're going to get all, all into it. So you ask yourself, how did I get this way? Just 20 short years ago, I was perfectly fine with the six to eight weeks for delivery. No UPS tracking numbers that I recall. No text updates, to be sure. No Amazon Prime guarantee. The quibbles and complaints of spoiled consumers betray a baseline inability to cope with uncertainty, which is bad news because the world overflows with real uncertainty and real pain in it. The once promising business is going belly up. Will there be enough money to pay next month's bills? Who knows? You ask the doctor, will chemotherapy work and this doctor, his brow creased with practice sympathy, says, we don't know. The pregnancy went wonderfully. You furnished the baby's room. You picked out a name. But now you're hovering daily over an incubator, haunting the NICU, and no one can tell you what happens tomorrow. Uncertainty in this sense is about more than just the not knowing. It's about the encroaching dread. Not knowing is one thing. Staring into the abyss is another we don't know what's coming, and maybe what's coming is not good. Maybe it's really bad. We've got no plan, and we so want a plan. Our nation is built up on upward mobility, progress, consistency. You stay the course, you follow the trajectory, life kind of goes a certain way. In this way, we're all planners. Like, my wife Abby is a planner proper. She makes daily, this is not a joke, daily to-do lists, and she makes schedules for vacation. She needs to know the runtime of a movie before it starts. Maybe you're not like her, but you're a planner too. All of us, consciously and subconsciously, presuppose a certain direction for our lives. No one says, and then will come trauma. So I'll do this. No one says, and then it will fall apart. So I'll go here. 
We think about the next thing as if the next thing has a solid shape and we take it for granted. My career will go this way. My marriage will be like this. My kids will go to this school. Tomorrow looks like this. We like to know what's going on and what's going to happen and when. Adding to this list of strange and unpleasant things that seem to trademark 2020, Vancouver joined a growing list of cities to be overwhelmed with unbreathable toxic smoke for more than a week while wildfires consumed homes and people in the process. And I watched the frustration festering around me and I was similarly annoyed by the whole thing. Why can't anyone just tell us when it'll be over? Our plans are being disrupted. We're already having a hard go of it with the whole planning thing. 2020 hasn't exactly been a year marked by clarity Across the dystopian landscape of the post-truth world, for-profit socio-political outrage porn feeds frustrated biases with lots of reasons to be ticked and very few answers to anything. If you want to feel more right about the ways that you're already convinced you're right, we have a news outlet for you. If you prefer the science fiction world of satanic Democrats and COVID conspiracy, we've got you covered with Facebook and Instagram. And no one knows what the heck is really going on at any given moment. Several times over the last few months, I've heard people sincerely ask, does anyone know if there actually exists a nonpartisan, unbiased, non-fantasy news source? And it was a question with no answer. It's been a year of trauma. Trauma sounds really dramatic, but in essence, it is an experience of felt helplessness when something bad happens that we can't change. All of us have it. And the thing about trauma is that unlike, say, grief, which looks backward, trauma is present and often ongoing. And we're all sharing it this year. In varying degrees, we've all, all been served a bowl of awful soup. In trauma, regardless of your personality type, human beings tend to reach for control. I thought this week about a strange incident I once witnessed. You're about to hear about it. I was in a car with a friend and her brother asked if he could order ice cream from a drive-thru. As the driver of said vehicle, I obliged him. Before his sister passed it to the back seat, she took an innocent lick of the ice cream her brother had ordered. And that's when he shrieked and suddenly erupted into tears. This is like a 17-year-old, by the way. And I was flabbergasted. But my friend, uh, after she apologized to her brother, she wisely assessed... He just feels as if everything in his life is out of control. That week, her brother had moved into his mom's new house as their parents' divorce was finalized. He was a high schooler living out of a box, both of his unhappy parents distant from each other and from him, and his family was broken. He just wanted an ice cream cone all to himself. And even that didn't go according to plan, and he just broke down. We do this when control escapes us. Confronted with the world's indifferent chaos, humans tend towards six different coping mechanisms. And the first is blame, perhaps the most popular on the list. If there's someone to blame, there's a place to compile our anger and pain. And that's an answer to the unsatisfying ambiguity. So we blame Trump or blame liberals or blame the right or blame the left or blame masks or blame anti-maskers or blame Bill Gates or 
blame a secret cannibal cult or blame the suckers who actually believe in the secret cannibal cult, which gives rise to the coping mechanism number two, which is magical thinking. And there we go into, ah, the virus is probably not real anyway. There's some kind of conspiracy. Or alternately, everything is going back to normal in no time. A fix is just around the corner. Any day now, actually. And then we start to count on prediction. What's going to happen is this. And we set dates, and we crunch numbers. We say a vaccine will arrive at this time. We'll be back to normal on this day. Or, alternately, hyperbolic doomsday speech. Before I detached from the news entirely more than a month or so ago, I kept seeing headlines to the effort of nothing will ever be the same, or there is no going back to normal. And I would think, I guess, maybe, but may maybe not. Prediction makes us hungry for updates. Whoever can tell us what's coming next wins. If we think we know what's going on, we feel a bit more in control. So we refresh the feed, keep scrolling, and we feel worse by the second. And then we channel that misery into the way we behave. First, in the obsessive detail with which we can control the things in our lives. List makers make more lists or obsessive workout routines or new diet regimes or more shopping or more renovation. This is within our dominion. This we can control. Sweet, sweet control. But obsessive grasping for control often becomes tyranny. And we attempt then to control other people, our friends or roommates or spouses or kids, biting and tearing at one another in the doomed clamoring for some sense of control. You know, the list of shocking and alienating theological doctrine and principles fundamental to the teaching of Jesus is pretty significant. It's a long list. And that's, uh, it's not that hard, I mean, to provoke any given person or to freak them out with something Jesus said or did. It's one of the things I love most about Jesus. Jesus' teaching on, say, self-denial or spiritual discipline or enemy love or sexuality or simplicity, there's something to make just about anyone squirm. And it seems to me that up there, somewhere at the top of that list, is this. What if having no control and no certainty is just fine? What if the struggle to seize control underlies most, if not all, of the hurdles before us in our journey of spiritual formation? This whole thing sort of started in March. It's now officially fall by the grace of God. Good riddance, summer. And every fall, I'm serious, by the way, good riddance, summer. And every fall we have something called a vision series at Van City Church. It's a time to kind of regroup, remind each other while we're here. We chart a course for the year ahead. We make plain the vision and direction of the church leadership, and we invite everyone along for another adventure. This year, as September began to approach, the vision of the year ahead felt more like conjecture than it ever has. Look at us. We're in a different building. Half of us aren't here. Some of us are watching online. There's no kids' classes. Some communities, some Vancity communities, are back to meeting again in person. Others are still on Zoom. 
for the vast majority of 2020 to date, the plan we made in the fall of 2019 has taken a back seat to survival mode. And this evening, I've come to you with a plan, but I'm going to ask you to hold it with me in an open palm and step blindly into a fog. Ordinarily, at Van City, we teach the Bible one line at a time kind of thing. We learn spiritual disciplines, and we practice them in communities around dinner tables. But in the last few months, we've been, it seems, constantly addressing chaos, the pandemic, or race and injustice, or the ongoing season of the flesh. We spent weeks talking about the difficult work of creating environments out of the chaos of our lives where the Holy Spirit can actually move and work freely. And this vision acts as something of an epilogue to that work that we've been doing. So look at it this way. Think of the outworkings of the Holy Spirit we've dedicated so much time and attention to over the last couple of months. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice the way that controlling anything but yourself is not only absent from the list, it's fundamentally incompatible with each and every fruit of the Spirit. God himself recognizes that love and control are incompatible. So he designed the universe with autonomy to create the possibility for genuine relationship and love. To love someone is to relinquish any attempt to control them. Otherwise, you don't love them. You only love the temporary shape they take when bending to your control. Controlling people are not loving. They dominate, they manipulate other people into behaving the way they want them to behave so that the controlling person can enjoy a selfish sense of security. Control cannot enjoy true joy, but only hope for a happiness contingent on circumstances. Controlling people cannot accept the peace of God because that peace surpasses any sense of understanding. It's not reliant on a plan or on the absence of conflict, so they have no patience for chaos or uncertainty. Their kindness, next on the list, their kindness ebbs and flows with order or lack of it. No unconditional goodness because the world itself is often not good the desire for control is fundamentally faithless because it requires certainty and faith knows nothing of it. Hope, we define as the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. So control does not hope. It relies on certainty. Controlling people plan for their future rather than hope for God's future. And when control succumbs to coping mechanisms of blame and prediction, obsession, gentleness, and self-control are the collateral damage. And this brings us to a difficult dance. The personality type most prone to crave control can have a certain mental or biological advantage in their discipleship. We've made no secret of our strong conviction that to follow Jesus requires significant discipline and self-control, not unlike becoming a master pianist or a marathon runner or a doctor or a boxer or a black belt. It simply cannot be done without whole life dedication to mastery. So the controlling personality type can exploit and redirect their innate brokenness 
to something good. Control over, say, a schedule manifest as discipline. But unguarded, this too can slip backward into the fretful idolatry of the plan, the reaching for control. How do we, Van City Church, the church that I love, how do we confront the trial of uncertainty in the months ahead without reaching for control? Which brings me to James in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. Feel free to use the app if that's what you have. James chapter 4, which is an interesting letter written to early disciples of Jesus. And in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, he says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. What a year that this would be the text out of which we forge vision for the road ahead. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. James was likely taking issue with a philosophy popularized by merchants and traders living amongst his audience. Their thinking is not unlike that of the forward-thinking, career-focused go-getters of our time and place, which is draw a bead, make a plan, seize your moment. And James doesn't just criticize the go-getters, but condemns their ambitious tenacity for its lack of humble self-awareness. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, of course, we contextualize James' indictment of the go-getter merchants with the rest of the scriptures. Plans themselves are not bad. Plans are good. God makes plans. Jesus followed a plan. Those guys are decent enough examples. But the entire New Testament celebrates the discipline resolve necessary for a life of intentionality. Much to the chagrin of the anti-planners, following Jesus doesn't just happen by itself. It must be planned, self-control, self-discipline, mastery. All of that requires forward thinking and a plan. We pull this off by the empowering of God's Spirit, which is no small thing, but God's Spirit does not empower helpless puppets. He makes eager and willing students capable of that which they cannot do via self-effort alone. But the disciplined intentionality necessary for discipleship differs from selfish ambition in that it relies entirely on God's leading and God's direction. Hence, you get James' correction. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Now, by that, he doesn't mean that God is in control and whatever happens is God's will and we're hopeless against it, so we should just buckle up and go along for the ride. Whatever God wills is going to happen. That kind of fatalistic thinking, though sadly popular in certain circles, flies in the face of the Scripture's very high view of good works and engagement and effort and discipline. But all the good work and engagement and every effort in the world can't possibly keep trauma at bay forever. Something, somewhere, sometime is going to wreck some of our very best laid plans. 
life becomes broken out into phases. And Pete Scazzaro calls those, some of those phases the confusing in-betweens. I think that's where we are at the moment. These are transitional phases in life for which we are not prepared and over which we have no control. When we want to move into, ne- into the next place, but we tarry in confusion. It could be something like you're single and you don't want to be, and you're waiting. Or you're waiting to begin a certain stage of life for which you've hoped and planned and dreamed and you feel as ready as you've ever been, but for some reason you can't. Or there's a project or a career or a family that you want to start and you're waiting. And interestingly, this frustrating fog that feels like a waste of time, many wise figures down throughout the Christian tradition argue that this is the space where God often does some of his very best work. Now, God doesn't need trauma to form us. He doesn't require suffering in order to level us up. God doesn't design trauma, and he does not ordain suffering. But God is so relentlessly kind and so unimaginably intelligent that he graciously subverts the worst times to do us the best good when we let him. We just don't know what's coming. We never do, really. But this year we feel uniquely in want of a detailed map that isn't coming. Will we go back to normal gatherings soon? I don't know. Will we all be in masks spread six feet apart in the fall of 2021? I really don't know. When this all started, I was the butthead that kept, kept saying, we're going to be doing this in the fall. And my whole community was like, shut up, Josh. You're such a jerk. They said two weeks. Now look at us. Will we continue to thrive as a church financially as we have, thanks to the generosity of you guys over the last year? In spite of it all, we've not only managed to survive, but to thrive in our finances and generosity and giving. Or will something change and will there be difficult times ahead as a church? Don't know. Will our communities regain some sense of normalcy around dinner tables, enjoying hot soup with our kids running around on the many cold, rainy nights ahead? Or will we be staring at Zoom calls again? I don't know. When James, inspired by the Spirit of God, commanded, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He intended to teach disciples of Jesus down throughout the centuries that in the face of an unknowable future, we must relinquish certainty and control to God. Not to become passive, not to tune out, not to trust the alleged unilateral control of an all-controlling God. No, make plans, prepare yourself, make every effort, fight the good fight. But what is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So we make plans, and then we hold them with open hands, palms up, as we wander into the near shapeless fog of the future. Think about these, thing about these confusion phases is that psychologists tend to agree that in them, we tend to, more than ever, reach for a guide of some kind. So we look for gurus or experts or specialists. We go to the news, we go to social media, we just draw on the stories that we've believed all our lives to find guidance in the fog. And we get to choose our guide, all of us. 
It can be the, own, your, the voice in your head or your own anxiety. It can be your family, the way you were raised. It can be your political party or what you read on the internet. And I can only stand up here this evening as your pastor and friend along with you on this journey and with you in this struggle and invite you to choose Jesus. Every day, one day at a time, Choose Jesus as the shepherd to guide you into the dense haze of uncertainty where we often fail to see where one foot will land as it goes out before us. Becoming a person free from worry sounds intimidating, but living one day, one day in which we commit to hand our present and its uncertainty to God seems a little less intimidating. People always talk about giving God your future, But you don't have a future to hand over to God. You only have now. The world around you is going to, I suspect, continue to roil in its outrage. And certainly as we move more toward November, it's only going to get worse. The call is to resist grumbling in the language of the New Testament and discipline yourself for gratitude. Learn to reinterpret hardship as a possible pathway to peace, as counterintuitive as that seems. Learn to practice gratitude and contentment. It isn't blind optimism. It isn't denial of the world's ills. It is the deliberate decision to open our eyes to the hurting and injustice in our world and yet insist on the goodness of God, on his faithfulness to us and on our faithfulness to him. One day at a time, hardship as a pathway to peace. 2020 does often feel particularly stupid. I get it, and I agree. But constantly coming apart over the bad things in our immediate purview can reveal a dangerously narrow perspective. There has always been a tremendous amount of suffering and injustice all over the world. It's not just now, it's not just here, and it's not just us. We can learn to resist grumbling and resist defeat. In this, we are allowing God to form us into a people, a family that is ready for what comes next, whatever the heck that is. Holy uncertainty, as the mystics call it, is the capacity to live with no death grip on our best laid plans. We still plan, but we are emotionally and spiritually free from the felt need for those plans to come to fruition. So that when, not if, but when they tumble from our open hands, we continue to walk in the ways of peace as God enables us to make new plans and to hold those openly as well. Twice in the last couple of weeks, I took my six-year-old son to the dentist for fillings. I swear we make him brush his teeth religiously. He brushes them, then we brush them. Don't judge us. He just got a bad genetic hand in the whole enamel department. It's really something. So I'm sitting in this room with him over the span of these two different procedures. I didn't have a book or a phone or anything, so I'm just watching him, wishing that I could spare him any discomfort as he braved what is almost universally understood as an unpleasant thing to endure, you know, a dentist filling. And I was struck both times by the giving over of control involved. We chose it. No one made us do this thing. We had to drive to the dentist and sign in. He had to climb into this chair. He had to respond and participate the entire time. Rinse, spit, open, close, be still. 
but he allowed someone else to dictate the direction, to care for him. He could not accomplish his own fillings. No one asked for cavities and no one planned for weak teeth, and yet there we were, dependent on someone else. In this year's vision series, I say this without irony or black humor, expect chaos. Chaos is inevitable and chaos is coming. If we can live as a church one day at a time in humble reliance on God, we won't just survive the uncertainty. We will be more spiritually formed when we step through to the other side than if we had never been here at all. So create rhythms of delight for yourself, for your family, for your community. Reject the things that bring frustration and hate and discontent and the craving for control. I want to be so bold as to tell you, you guys hear this from me all the time, but I want to be so bold as to tell you that I really believe that you will always be more happy without social media and without the barrage of news hysteria. It's not just me. Science backs me up. An overwhelming and ever-growing mountain of research says the same thing. We are all facing uncomfortable realities. Much of spiritual formation and maturity is about facing uncomfortable realities and accepting them, not combating them or denying them, but accepting them. Things like the fact that we get older, that there are things that we wanted to do and that will not happen, that some dreams of ours might not come true, that some mistakes we've made have caused significant damage, that we are in a sense, a mist. According to the New Testament, accepting these things doesn't defeat us. It makes us more free because it allows us to release the illusion of control and worry and anxiety inevitably go with it. When we were very young, many of us believed that the sky was the limit. We were told you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, which isn't really true in the technical sense. And so we arrive at something spiritual director Morris Dirks calls a crisis of limitation. Out of this crisis of limitation, he argues, there are three ways forward. The first he calls the old fool, the one who continues to live in the fantasy of upward mobility, or what we might call the midlife crisis. But far more people, he argues, become the embittered fool. They settle and they become calloused and cynical and they complain and criticize, resentful of life and failing to make good on her promises. But a few precious people become not the old fool or the embittered fool, but the holy fool. They relinquish their illusions of control and the dreams that may have died, and they accept a new invitation to rediscover what it means to live. I think it we get this invitation, not just at a certain juncture in life, but several times throughout our story. And it seems like we're all receiving this invitation right now. Last year, I think, who can tell anymore? I read a book called Sacred Fire by Ronald Rollheiser, an incredible book about the second half of life. If you're 30 or older or nearing that range, I strongly recommend it. In it, Rollheiser writes this, we mature by meeting life just as God and nature designed it, and accepting there the invitations that beckon us ever deeper into the heart of life itself. We still plan. Our plan for the coming year is to continue to pursue and prioritize coming together as a church. 
while embodying humility and self-sacrificial love for others. So, as you can tell, we're following the rules. We will keep doing that. Cam and Patrick and I are in the office all throughout the week working together, prayerfully exploring ways that we can begin to reclaim certain expressions of our church, women's ministry, men's ministry, classes, prayer and prophecy nights, that kind of thing. Kiana, our deacon of women, though she and Dave managed to have a kid during all this, she's still planning ways to bring the women of Van City together regularly to learn and practice the way of Jesus together. Megan, our director of kids, is constantly looking for the best and safest ways to resume Van City kids in any capacity. Right now, we're meeting monthly in the park together, and it's been great. We've not for a second forgotten our kids, and they remain one of our highest priorities as not just possible recipients of daycare, but growing disciples of Jesus who, like us, need the church. The elders and deacons were together this week in my backyard, planning, praying, hoping for our future. From March until now, we've never once agreed to just drift in the current of insanity and, oh, well, we'll figure it out, resign ourselves to Zoom calls and podcasts. We don't want to do these things any more than any of you want to do these things. We've been fighting for this church and the expressions of this church that matter deeply for its health and vitality, and we will continue to do so with self-sacrificial love and concern for the health and welfare of other people. So we plan. But the tiny staff and small leadership team of Van City Church aren't nearly enough for that journey without the entire family together. 2020 has been a year of many heinous things, and division is certainly chief among them. So we are asking you, believe the best for one another. Remember the imperfections of one another. Remember your own imperfections. Forgive one another. Walk in humility with one another. Be patient with one another. Refuse to buy into the sides that we're being sold, the us and the them, the right and the left, the heroes and villains, and love one another well. Remember, it is trauma for everyone, so love one another well. We're asking you, show up however you can. Be the church in the months and year ahead. If you can be here on a Sunday like this, then be here. If Zoom calls and live streams are what you can do safely right now, then do that. As the old expression goes, you know, no single raindrop believes it's the cause of the flood. When you show up, however you can, with faithful resolve, you build up the entire church. I have seen this to be true time and time again. And when we don't, we disassemble her. We're asking you to believe that church matters. I get that it's weird out there. I do. I get that there's a lot of arguing over what's pandemic permissible and what isn't. But the church matters more, I think, than the many compromises that every person makes to the rules. So with safety in mind and with self-sacrificial love and concern for others, prioritize church in the ways that you can safely. Plan for faithfulness and then relinquish the outcomes. We're inviting you again into a new rule of life in the year ahead, which is something that we were talking about in depth right before everything seemed to collapse. We were, as a church, working through what it means to live by a code, to organize your life around certain spiritual rhythms, and then all this happened. But chaos always comes. In the weeks ahead, we're going to invite our family to reassess, put the pieces back together again and again, and even in the face of uncertainty, plan for apprenticeship by the day, week, months, and year. In the coming months, 
as was the case over the last four plus years of our church. We will make plans that enable us to follow Jesus well. And then we accept that we don't know what will happen and we can't control it. So we plan, detach from the outcomes, and walk one day at a time in grateful communion with God and then begin the next day. So what's next for Van City Church? We don't know, and that's okay. God is with us, and we can be with each other in the same way. Let me pray and invite God's Spirit to speak. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church/give.